The following interview originally aired on KPOV 88.9 on the Friday Point. You can listen to The Point 9 a.m. each weekday at 88.9 FM or at kpov.org. Believing in less of lots of things like food and drink and more realistic physical activity is often the key to better health outcomes. Conversely, having knowledge about the correct amount, quality, and nutrient content of foods we so willingly consume and paying much closer attention to the stimulants, the empty calories and alcohol we swallow, should be essential for us to feel the best we can. What we choose to consume can affect repeat, can definitely affect our energy levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even our ever-increasingly important sense of humor. You may have heard me say this before, the last thing you should try to maintain on your way out is your sense of humor. Try to keep it all the way to your last breath. For me, I'd like to have a laugh and uh, one last roll in the hay on my way out. Today's guest is John Corso. John and I have shared quite a few laughs. A number of years ago when he was doctoring and I was a strength training analyst, a fancy term I concocted to avoid the term personal trainer, laughs and mature wisdom are in store for our listeners on today's show. Dr. John Corso is a board-certified internal medicine doctor, now retired, who for the last half of his career has focused on the prevention of heart disease and the treatment of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes. He has learned that a big part of the project revolves around our diet and that most chronic diseases such as these are the result of what we eat. The author of a 2000 Amazon bestseller, Stupid Reasons People Die, catchy title, a book that explored the many ways patients can fall through the cracks of the healthcare system and become victims of diseases we already know how to prevent. John will tell us how almost anyone can have more energy, lose weight, and help improve or avoid diabetes without even being hungry. John, tell us why the Homer Simpson diet doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, it's called the the SAD diet, the standard American diet. Now, it does not work for sure. (laughs) And and Steve, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm hoping that by the end of the half hour that I'll be able to convince your audience or at least expose them to the understanding that it's not only possible to uh, be at an ideal weight, but it's, it's actually simple and easy to lose any unwanted weight without ever actually counting calories, without, without going hungry, uh, without even having to exercise, although exercise is a good idea, it, it's not necessary. And that in doing so will actually make a person feel more energetic, as you mentioned, less inflamed throughout their bodies. So many people will just feel basically happier. And this, this way of eating, it's called the keto diet, and a lot of people have heard that, and a lot of people recoil from that, from that sound, that name. They go, oh, no, it's another diet, and I, I don't want to do a diet. But what I'm promoting today is not a diet in the classic sense. It's not where you count your calories, you try to w- lose weight, and you go hungry all the time. This is more a matter of just a lifestyle, a way of eating that's a little bit different, that's actually delicious and very satisfying. And Stephen, at the very beginning, I'd like to dispel three myths, or at least bring them up, because this is the resistance I, I run into from healthcare professionals and everyone else. Number one is, I know on that diet, you've got to eat a lot of fat, and that's going to cause a heart attack. No, it's not. And we can get it. That's probably another whole radio show. But we have been wrong about dietary fat 
for the last 70 years. Uh, anybody wants to go Google the, a man named Ansel Keys, A-N-C-E-L, Keys, K-E-Y-S, and the seven-country uh, diet study, we'll find out how we got on the wrong track there. Uh, yeah, dietary fat is good for you. The second myth I would like to dispel is that you have to exercise in order to lose weight. You do not. Again, it's a good idea, but who wants to exercise if you're overweight? Uh, the very status of being overweight makes that difficult. It makes you tired. And third, that you need to feel hungry to lose weight. You do not. I have lost, on this diet, lost 20 extra pounds I was carrying. I have never been less hungry in my life. So this may all sound too good to be true to, your, to many of your listeners. And we've all been exposed to hucksters out there promoting miracle this and miracle that, right? Uh, and so I hope your listeners are skeptical. But by the end of this half hour, I hope that, you know, if what I say makes sense, because I'm going to give us a history of how we got to this place and what we can do about it. If it makes sense, I think if you go down the path of trying to change what you eat, you could be amazed at how easy it is to get to your ideal weight and avoid diabetes or make it far less severe if you already have it. Uh, that and other chronic diseases like hypertension, if you simply follow these dietary steps. I want to explain how we, where we are in the United States. Uh, how we got here as a species, and what we can do to, to make things better. Yeah. Having been in the fitness industry, we demonized fat, and we really shouldn't have allowed that to happen. Huge mistake. Yeah, and, probably the biggest. And Steve, we've known that, we've known that the people who do the research on this have known this for over 20 years, but getting it out to the population is very difficult. I had a lovely a person who sells us organic eggs. Uh, we said, well, we'll take all you, these are delicious. We'll take all you can sell us. She goes, well, don't eat too many of them. You'll have a heart attack. No, no. I mean, that is still out there in, in the public dialogue. Yeah, it's safe to say that you'd have to eat a dozen eggs just to get excess of calories mm -hmm. to get fat. Yeah, eggs are fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think even in the fitness industry, that's what we always measured bioavailability of protein and eggs oh, are number one. Great source. And as somebody just recently told me, bacon is the candy of meat. <laughs> um, marvelous line. And on, on my diet, you can have all the bacon you want uh, and you will be okay. So, you know, what, what's the problem, Steve? The problem is that right now, two-thirds of the American adult population are obese. Two-thirds. Um, this, is, this is up from, you know, up from about 70 years ago when it was only about 2.5% of people were obese. So it's gotten really, really bad. But obesity and diabetes have been with us for probably five, ten thousand 10,000 years. They're just worse lately because of all the processed food. I'm very, very happy that obesity is no longer like fat shaming, we, that we have, we have stopped ridiculing and marginalizing people who are overweight because being overweight is not that person's fault. It is the fault of the food supply that we have right now. But it is a, also a very true fact that being obese is very medically dangerous, uh, mainly because of diabetes, but also high blood pressure, wear and tear of the joints, many, many other problems, even sleep apnea. And it's very, very good that we're not fat shaming people. On the other hand, most of the obese people that I personally know, and I can only speak for people I've actually spoken to, I know for a fact that if they could snap their fingers and be at their ideal weight, they would be. Uh, they don't want to be as heavy as they are. So we have a huge problem, and I would like to sort of explore how we got here. I think it's safe to say that uh, we've all <clears throat> developed a mild addiction to simple carbohydrates. Couldn't have said it better. And, and it's not that mild. <laughs> no, that's true. That's right. absolutely true. It's a pretty extreme addiction. Right. And the question is, how did we get there? Uh, and so I'd like, to, I'd like to just do a little history lesson. And, and, uh, but it comes down to one word, one very, very important word, agriculture. Uh, 
Now, agriculture is a process or a, a technology that we sort of stumbled into over the last twenty to 10 to 20,000 years, and it may very well have saved our species from extinction. It certainly has saved millions upon millions of people from starving. But it has come with a cost. And what happened is we, when we invented agriculture, it, what happened is early man was – well, not that early, but anyway, uh, prehistoric man was able to – find that they could plant seeds and then grow a crop and then they had a more reliable food supply but what happened was they would choose the plants that grew that had maybe the sweeter fruit or had maybe the bigger bulkier grain and then they would use those seeds to make their next crop and little by little they completely transformed our food supply into fruits and vegetables that make a ton of carbohydrates and one has to ask themselves, why? Why would we concentrate so much on things that are sweet and starchy? And that's what a carbohydrate is. Carbohydrate means sugar. And sugar can be arranged in a way that tastes sweet, or it can be arranged in a way that tastes starchy, like in wheat flour and corn and potatoes and things like that. Why do we love that so much? And I, t I just find this fascinating, and I've always been a nerd, but I find it fascinating. Why do humans love carbohydrates so much? And the answer is that we are something called an omnivore. Now, an omnivore, as you know, is an animal that can eat anything and, and, and eats, you know, uh, plants, fruits, uh, grains, meats, fish, everything. It can eat anything. And we share that distinction with some other animals, rats, pigs, and, and bears. So we'll stick with bears because that's a little cuter. But <laughs> bears are omnivores. And you see it. They'll eat salmon. They'll gorge themselves on berries. And they will go after honey, uh, even if it, it means they get stung, right? So we have this craving for sweet. And why do we have that? Omnivores have that because they have to sample foods to make sure that they're safe. And it turns out that if a food is sweet or starchy, that it's much more likely to be safe to eat than if it's sour or bitter. And so we have a built-in biological mechanism to feel extremely gratified when we eat carbohydrates. In fact, you can put a person, you can put me into an MRI scanner, a functional MRI scanner, hungry, and give me a, a slice of bread. You could then watch the happiness in my brain actually happen. You could see dopamine release, serotonin release, and, and actually maybe even endorphin release, which is all the neurochemistry that makes one addicted to a, a behavior and makes you come back for more. So the problem was that, you know, why didn't early man eat so many carbohydrates? And the answer is they weren't there. Yes. They just weren't there. I mean, yeah, there's a little carbohydrate in everything you eat, a tiny bit, but there was no such thing as a bagel bush or, a, you know, a, a Big a Mac or fries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing like that. No source of, even potatoes. Uh, potatoes were these little, just tiny little tubers, but we've changed them into these sweet yams and big russet potatoes and so forth. So we created a carbohydrate food supply to basically serve our addiction to carbohydrates. Well, it was also a commercial kind of a situation where simple carbohydrates are relatively easy to store. And so yeah, starvation, yeah, yeah. starvation prevention. That was great. So what but you know the the fossil evidence if you look at early man before we had agriculture our bones were in much better shape than they were now. We were actually in a nutritionally better stage before we developed agriculture. And it's because with agriculture we shifted from a predominantly fat diet to a carbohydrate diet. Now, the human body, well, food Food has three major components, right? One of them is carbohydrates, which is sugar, as we said. The second is protein, which we build our muscles and bones and skin and hair and everything out of. And the third is fat. And fat we store for energy. And we can burn two of those for, for energy. We can burn fat and we can burn carbohydrates. And our bodies were designed 
to mainly burn fat. But when you give your body carbohydrates, something strange happens. Think of a bear, once again, getting ready for the, for the, the winter. The berry season will come along, and that bear will eat berries to, all day long. It'll eat gallons of them and gorge on them, right? During that process of eating berries, he will fatten up for the winter. Now, we have a similar system. When we eat sweets, when we eat carbohydrates or starch, the very first thing that happens is it makes our body release insulin. And the first thing insulin does is tell us you may not burn fat. In fact, anything extra you have, you will store as fat because that is a mechanism as a hedge against starvation. But when we eat carbohydrates all the time, all day long, we never burn fat. In fact, our bodies forget how to burn fat. And that is why we have gotten into the situation we're in. Yeah, plus the fact carbohydrates are the first thing to leave the gut, and protein leaves a little slower, but fat leaves the slowest of all. That's right. Leaves you satiated and less hungry. That's right. So what happens when, we, when you go on what we call the keto diet? Why do we call it the keto diet, first of all? A little biochemistry, sorry, it's, it's not that important. But when you burn sugar, you just burn sugar. It goes in your bloodstream, goes in your cells, and you burn it. When you burn fat, it's a little more complicated. It comes out of your fat tissue. It hitches a ride on, in your bloodstream to the liver. Then the liver chops up the big fat molecule into these small ketone molecules. The ketone molecules are what your, your body burns for energy. And so that is why it's called the keto diet, because one of the intermediate steps between fat molecule and then energy is it has to become a ketone first in your body. And every tissue in our body can burn ketones. And that's what we're designed to do. And here's what happens. If you can stop eating the carbohydrates get them down to about 25 grams a day. Your body is then forced to burn fat. And after about eight weeks of doing this, Stephen, your body adapts. We call it keto adaptation. It becomes really good at burning fat again. And, you know, again, we talk about this as like, oh, my body's changed into something new. No, your body has finally gone back to the way it was meant to be. It's finally in tune with itself. And when it's in tune with itself, this is the most miraculous thing. When your body is not being poisoned with carbohydrates making you crave them every 10 minutes and making you hungry again. Instead, your body goes, oh, my goodness, look, at, uh, I'm back. It wakes up for the first time and goes, I'm back to normal. And I got 30 extra pounds of fat on me. Hmm, that's not good for two reasons. One is um, I'm part of a tribe. Your body doesn't know that you're not part of a tribe anymore. I'm still part of a tribe, and this is going to slow me down. So I'm not going to be a big, valuable resource in hunting and gathering. So I should get rid of some of this weight just to be more effective. And secondly, if I don't eat while I lose this weight, that's more food for the rest of the tribe, which increases its chance for survival. So the body is designed to keep you at an ideal weight for these reasons. And so the very moment that you are back into a normal state, if you're overweight, you're not hungry. And you wake up in the morning not hungry. And so my wife and I were able to do this a few years ago. And we don't eat until one in the afternoon. Not because we're trying not to eat. We just aren't hungry until then. Yeah, I think a lot of the fallacies actually came from the fitness industry when they were encouraging us to eat three meals a day and a couple snacks. And in fact, I agree that, you know, we've gotten used to the idea of eating far too often and not allowing our gut to empty. That's absolutely right. We are, we're supposed to eat small, frequent, high-fat, low-carb meals. And when you do that, you're at your peak. And not only that, you know, have you ever 
Have you ever had a high-carb meal and then crashed and burned afterwards? That never happens on the keto diet. You can have a big lunch. You know, like when we started it, we were forced to eat things like filet mignon and uh, salmon and avocados and butter and bacon and eggs and nuts and the best cheeses. Poor us, you know, and this, this terrible keto diet we were stuck on. But we were not hungry for yeah. most of the day. Yeah, it's, it is. It, I think that having been in the fitness industry for a number of years, it's it's amazing to see how things have changed, and I'm so glad that they have, and I'm glad that there's people like you that do continual research on it. I'm sure you're not done yet. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's always changing, but a few basic things are true, and that is that the world is eating the wrong diet. And if we got back to what our great, 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 and just add 100 greats there, ancestors ate, we would feel a whole lot better and be much healthier. Yeah, so much of it comes from... A lot of of it has been influenced by convenience as well. And I think that uh, if you become an educated eater, you realize that you're going to have to carry a diaper bag full of food with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is difficult to, to when you're out and about to get the food you need. You do need to carry some snacks on your own. Um, but there are some pitfalls to this. Many people start off on this and then they fail. And they fail for two main reasons. One is they don't do it right. You have to get educated before you do this. You have to go to the resources that will be available, I guess, on your Instagram and, and on your Facebook. Facebook page, and we'll, I'll name a few at the end here that people can get a pen and maybe write them down. You have to learn what you're doing, and you have to do it correctly. Or if you mix carbohydrates with the fats, people go, oh, I can eat all the fat I want, and then they also eat carbohydrates, you will gain weight. You have to be very, very low on the carbohydrates. And the second pitfall is you have to have family support. Debbie and I were successful because we had each other, and we both uh, supported each other. It's very, very difficult to do this alone in a family if, if, if you don't have support. So before embarking on it, you really do need to have a chat with the people you live with. Uh, you know, and I, I feel sorry because some people literally do live with Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to just name a couple a couple things that people might want to write down. For for one thing, it's to understand what the what the carbohydrate contents of certain foods are. It's really good to have an app on your phone, and one of those apps is called Simple Stupid Keto, and. Just Google it. It's free, and it really was helpful in letting us know that, you know, for example, peanuts are not nuts, and they have a lot of carbs in them, and walnuts are fantastic. They don't have a lot of – pecans are great, worse cashews are not. You need to learn these differences. And second, there's a, 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 a YouTuber out there by the name of Dr. Bosworth. She goes by Dr. Boz, and she has – if you just Google Beginner's Guide to Ketosis by Dr. Boz, she has some of the most educational videos out there. She's fabulous. Uh, there's also a gentleman named Thomas DeLauer. His last, last name is D-E-L-A-U-E-R, DeLauer. Uh, my wife says he's nice to look at, uh, but he didn't used to be. He was 100 pounds overweight, and he's very scientific. He has a lot of content, but he's got some great videos to learn how to get started in ketosis. And finally, there's a, there's a great set of keto recipes called Keto Connect. Uh, it's a couple who have made their living on YouTube. Uh, making great keto recipes. Yeah, it's, you know, I think that we've all finally come to the conclusion that if you want to learn some, you may have to go to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, YouTube has been very handy. There's a lot of nonsense out there, too. But these, I, I would vet these these four resources. Yeah, and I, I think what you've done for us today, John, is uh, allowed us to think more critically about what we are consuming and realize that we may not have to consume as much if we consume foods that are more calorie dense. 
And you don't have to be hungry, not for a moment, and yet you can still have the weight melt off. Yeah, it it is a shame, in my opinion, that I, I remember when I first started studying nutrition, I actually kind of skipped over the part on fats because they were so out of vogue at that time, and it's been a complete 180. Mm-hmm. It, it really has been. It's almost embarrassing. So, I see that our producer has mm-hmm. told me that we have one minute left, so once again, repeat those YouTube sites. Yeah, I got Dr. Boz, B-O-Z. You can Google her and look for her introductory videos. And then Thomas DeLauer, D-E-L-A-U-E-R. And then the Keto Connect couple. And then, of course, Stupid Simple Keto, an app you can get on the App Store. And I want to, I wanna, one other thing that I find is an obstacle. People are like, well, I, c- I can never do this if I can't eat bread. And I can never do this if I can't eat, eat tortillas. You actually, you can do it without that. I did it for a long time. But they are actually, now, once you've, once you've succeeded in transitioning into a keto, uh, physiology, there are products out there that we can go into another time that are almost indistinguishable. And I have to tell you, Stephen, I make a keto ice cream that people want to market. It took me two years to perfect it, and most people cannot tell the difference. Yeah, I hear you. No, it it, it is. I, I think that it makes you be far more imaginative. Uh, John, uh, I just want to give you one last plug for your book. Uh, I'm sure that as is the case with everything, you can find that on Amazon. What's the name of the book? Oh, the name of the book is, tell us the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid Reasons People Die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, and I have to say, it has been uh, really nice to see you again, John. And one of the things I really appreciate you about is your sense of humor. Uh, back at you, Steve. All right. Well, thank you, John. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.